Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm sitting here with Melissa Barbash, wonderful therapist, couples counselor, group therapy aficionado. Melissa, I've known you for like three, four years, I think, Mm -hmm. at this point. I think think three now, yeah. Three years. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. And I'm really honored that you want to share this story with our listeners. I know it's been a little bit of a challenge to to share it and, and to want to talk about it. And I know you're going to talk about that, um, you know, when it's your time to go. But but the story for those listeners out there, it's, you know, being in love with somebody who is addicted, right? Being in love with an addict, being in a relationship that is codependent, that's built on kind of that hope of, of sobriety and hope of healing. And I think it's something in, in my practice, I see so many people, I think, I would say specifically women uh, that go through that. It's not talked about at all. Um, so thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'll let you know at the end if I was super happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel happy to be here. I just feel a little bit nervous, which Mark knows, um, as he said that people don't talk about this a lot. And so I'm a little nervous to share about it. Yeah, but before we go into it, can you share a little bit about what you think the resistance is to talking about it? You know, what what keeps people stuck in the story or keeps them holding the secret? Well, I don't know that it's, I don't think that it's not talked about because it's a secret. I think that people are aware that they are in a relationship with an addict. I think that's maybe a a separate question. But uh, for me... Um, my reluctance to share, um, it's, a, it's a pretty personal journey um, that people don't know a lot about. Uh, they don't know much about why they're in the relationship or what's holding them there, um, if they're crazy. Uh, so it's pretty common that women in this position um, can talk very freely about their partner, but not as freely about themselves. So it's a little more difficult to, I think, give ourselves maybe permission to do that or understanding of how to do that. Yeah, I, I think that that's really true. I mean, for people I've talked to, there's the gaslighting either by the partner or by the self of like, it's going to get better or in this, mm-hmm. right? And I think shame, right, around being like, you know, there is some awareness that their relationship is not normal and that there's, you know, yeah. things going on, but asking for help and like you said owning your part of it is it's huge it's huge a lot yeah. more vulnerable definitely definitely i can i can I, you made a good point right so i i don't know that i can speak from myself and, and from the people that i work with um we often see something that doesn't feel so right but a lot of people myself included i actually just i never had a history knowing anybody that struggled with addiction until um, I found myself in these relationships. And I think that's often hard for people to believe because there's an assumption that uh, if you are in these partnerships, then you must have had it in your family of origin, which is not the case for a lot of people. 
so <clears throat> sometimes what we're seeing is confusing to us, confusing to me. Yeah. I think that's true. Right? It can be like, whoa, I, I haven't seen behavior like this. I don't know really yeah. like what this is and, and, and what's okay. Yeah. I don't know what's okay. I've seen, I've seen withdrawal behavior, meaning like avoidant behavior in, in my family history and in my life, but it never presented with substances. So it was really confusing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the, I don't know if that feels helpful to hear. I know I'm just kind of answering your questions right now, but like without maybe a, <laughs> maybe a tangible spot that I'm starting with, but I, I think that you're asking good questions and it, I think it's helping me to just think about what to say right now and, and how to be most helpful. Yeah. Well, so, so let's give the listeners some context. Can you paint yeah. a picture, you know, a timeline of, of what your experience has been? Yeah. So, um, that was really loud. Um, (laughs) yes. So, um, my timeline has been, um, being in relationships and I'm going to be very specific about people who've struggled with drugs or alcohol, not other, um, process addictions or anything. Um, cause I think that that holds its own, um, weight, um, particularly in my life. So for me in my, early twenties. Um, I started, I was in a long-term relationship with someone who was using marijuana every day. Um, and that was pretty normal to me in my college years. I I didn't particularly use, but that felt normal to be around. And so I didn't really think anything of it. However, um, that person was completely unavailable, uh, emotionally, um, very available physically, uh, but not very uh, available emotionally. Um, and I held on and held on um, to that particular relationship um, and was set free, thankfully, uh, after some time. But I didn't know how to leave. And um, then in my late 20s, early 30s, was with somebody for a very long time who struggled with alcohol addiction. Um, and that was about five years. Um, and my first time I ever went to therapy was, um, after an attempted suicide by that partner, um, to my own therapy, I had attended therapy with, with that person, with him or, um, uh, couples therapy together, but I'd never gone to my own therapy, which, to, to talk about your original point, nobody encouraged me to do. Um, and I didn't know that that was what should be happening either. But it's absolutely what should have been happening. Um, because there was nothing I could do to help this relationship other than that. Um, or help myself other than that. Um, and uh, yeah, when I was 31, I'm 41, when I was 31, um, that ended and uh, it was a roller coaster during, after the last several years of just figuring out everything that's been going on in my life for the last 41 years. Um, yeah. Does that feel, does that answer that question? Kind of a, a walkthrough of what happened to me? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Context. I, I think that's, that's a great, that's a great timeline. I'm wondering, 
if there's any stories that come to mind that highlight the extent of the addiction or highlight your experience during it? I have a million stories. Um, <laughs> I'll try to stick to a few. Um, so my first window into the person who struggled with alcohol addiction um, was when his family member offhandedly mentioned to me that he had been to treatment and that was, we were together for 11 months and that was the first time I'd ever heard that. Um, and I thought something is wrong here. You know, so, I don't know what this is, but I just got a huge fearful feeling. Like I was, I was in something that I knew nothing about mm -hmm. and I was with somebody that would hold back something so important um, about themselves. And he actually got mad at me for knowing that. Um, so he got mad at me, not his family member, <laughs> um, for knowing more about him. And so I think that started to increase my level of shame and fear that I had in that relationship. Like I was always doing something wrong by having knowledge or by seeing things um, or by asking questions. That's a real head trip. <laughs> it is a real head trip. Yeah, you want to know what's going on in your relationship. Um, and to get in trouble for trying to learn about that feels very confusing. Um, and I know that after that, I became very inquisitive, very watchful, very critical, um, and wanted things to change. Um, so I think that is a good kind of story that highlights dipping your toe in to knowing that you're in an addictive relationship. Um, and it didn't cross my mind to leave though. Um, which is, I don't know if that's more about me or more about him, but I, I think it's about both of us. Uh, but it didn't cross my mind to leave. Um, I can share a little bit more about that. If, if you want to know like why I didn't leave at that particular moment. Yeah. Yeah. Say a little bit about that. What keeps, what kept you stuck in that moment? Um, I think number one, lack of knowledge and hoping that I could learn whatever I could to try to help this person or be with this person or, um, I, I wanted to be with him. So I think, uh, just not being ready to do that, but also in my own personal history, um, uh, I, I think I was kind of trained to be somebody who stays, um, until, until I can't stay anymore. Um, so that's a kind of a family of origin piece that I had to work through. Um, and I was also, I don't know how much this will get across to the, like how much people will like this, but I was also... Uh, really gaslit and manipulated um, and uh, at times told things that were true. But this person really struggled with depression and uh, used that to keep me in the relationship at times too, um, threatening suicide and um, telling me that I was uh, the reason that he was still alive. Um, that's a lot of pressure. So that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Um, and I should have gotten help right then. 
for myself, but I still did not. Um, yeah. Um, so, and I never left. I think the listeners should know that I, I'm not the person that left. And I think that could be helpful for people to know because, um, that doesn't mean it wasn't the best thing that happened to me to have him leave. Um, but I didn't know how, and I want to help people understand exactly what I'm talking about, why they can't leave, why they want to, why they don't want to. Um, that's not the only option leaving or staying, but people don't know enough about themselves and why they're in this relationship other than the word love. Uh, people use, and I use the word love a lot, but I love him. And I hear people say that a lot. And mm, I feel like we need to learn more about that in order to find out what the hell that means. Yeah. That's a really interesting topic because when I think of, I don't know, maybe like unhealthy love or love that I see that keeps people stuck, maybe it's a better way, is this idea that love is sacrifice, that love is kind of being a martyr and giving up parts of ourselves or giving up, you know, future plans or giving up our, yeah, ourselves really, right? To, to be with that person no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the unconditional love thing is a very romantic idea, right? That you, that you're going to get loved no matter what. But mm-hmm. that's a really slippery slope. And it sounds like in your case, right? Like the no matter what got pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, ma- no matter how much love was given, it, it, it didn't help anything. It may have saved his life. Uh, the amount of love that I gave because I, because I called the ambulance uh, the night that he attempted suicide, or it may have saved his life long enough for him to be in recovery, um, which I have no idea. I think he is. Um, but it, it didn't do anything for me. <laughs> That that love that I had, it just made me crazy and um, made me think that I was crazy and hurt me. That that love that I thought that I felt hurt me all the time. Um, I was uh, I was so unhappy and anxious and felt traumatized and um, angry all the time. I was very angry all the time. Um, And I don't want to. I don't want to, I want to make sure everybody who's listening knows that um, I own, I have a part in this. I don't want anybody to think that only the person who struggles with addiction is at fault. Um, And um, there are a lot of people who struggle with addiction who won't own their part um, and who will blame their partner for everything. Um, and that's, that's what I want to help people not have to live with anymore. Um, that like self-sacrifice and amount of blame that comes toward, I, I, this feels like I should wait till after commercial to say this. However, uh, the first thing that this person said to me when he woke up in the hospital was, I wasn't going to kill myself. You shouldn't have called the ambulance. Oh, um, immediate guilt trip. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was really hard. Um, so I just want to say like, there's a difference between self accountability and um, I, I just, 
I'll take mine and I want the other person to take theirs. Yeah, I think that's such an important piece, you know, because mm-hmm. and I get that you want to own your party. And we'll definitely talk about that on the other side. Mm-hmm. But I've seen so many people in your position that, yeah, they fall into that shame hole, right, of being mm-hmm. that everything is their fault and everything, mm-hmm. you know, they, they own all of it. And that person is just, you know, struggling, right? And it's like hard to be mm-hmm. mad or upset at someone that is so clearly struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet they have a part in it too. And, you know, maybe next commercial break or later on, I'll talk about my side because I've been an addict, right? And I've been in relationships. Mm -hmm. So I've, I know a little bit about that other side. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not as uh, innocent as, (laughs) as perhaps, (laughs) you know, uh, addicts can make it out to be, right? Um, Where we're very good, usually because of childhood conditioning at playing a victim and and seeking attention Mm -hmm. through Mm self-harm, at least I was. So there's a part for us to own as well in this dynamic that can be so harmful for people. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you're saying that because I, yes, I want to get the point across that not everybody harms people um, through their addiction uh, forever and people get harmed as well. Absolutely. So So we're going to move into our commercial break here. Uh, For those listening, stand by. We're going to, learn more about, go more to the dynamics, talk about our own experiences together, and hopefully present some sort of help or at least scaffolding on how to get out if you might be in a summer situation. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. 
find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Melissa Barbash, and we're talking about being in love with an addict. And Melissa, you wanted to focus part of the segment on how you got stuck, what your part of the dynamic was. And, you know, we'll get into his part too, but I think your part's really critical because like you said, it's not talked about. I'd imagine that there's shame there. I imagine that there's taboo there, feeling of helplessness, victim. Um, But I'll let you take it away. Can you tell a little bit about what it was like on your end of the relationship? I yelled a lot. Um, I can start with that. (laughs) Um, So part of my part is that I, I I think I was justified in yelling and um, I yelled a lot and I can understand how someone would want to back away from that um, and wouldn't want to engage in discussion with me. Um, It's hard to know, you know, I, I, I also, have a family history of people not really talking about their feelings um, and having to kind of like chase or lean into that. And so it was pretty natural for me to have to um, chase this person to, to get them to talk to me about what was going on. And so the fury and a lot of the yelling didn't come from him originally However, it was amplified by being with him. So my part is that I brought into the relationship um, an anger already about not being able to access somebody when they're withdrawing or avoiding. Um, I don't know if that makes it right, but I understand attachment theory. And, you know, with respect to kind of moving towards someone and someone moving away. Um, But I also think addictive relationships like breeds that. Like, that's exactly what's going to happen. Like, the person obviously is hiding from something or talking about something. So if you get someone in there that's inquisitive and curious, it's going to explode. Um, so we, ex- I exploded a lot. I don't know. He imploded, I guess. <laughs> um, but I, I did it outwardly. So yeah, I do think it's important to own my part. I mean, that's what not only does owning my part has that helped me, but, but being able to talk about how hurt and damaged I was and have people listen to me um, and, and help me understand it has been so important. Like I and 
so many people that I've worked with initially only know how to talk about our partner in therapy. Like there's no me left. There was, there's no, there's no um, spouse left at that time. Uh, I wouldn't have even known how to talk about myself unless someone helped me to do it. Um, <clears throat> so I really think that people miss out if they don't work with somebody on, on their own therapy, because um, I, I've had, I don't know how I was going to say this, but people come to me who very clearly want me to fix their partner. Um, and uh, I understand the impulse for that, but they specifically look for a, an addictions counselor because I can understand their partner then. I don't need to be an addiction counselor to understand that you are struggling in your relationship. But I, I, there's some sort of peacefulness that it creates in knowing that there's someone in front of you that can understand your partner. Um, so, yeah, I said a lot, but I think I, <laughs> I like everything I said. So I, I said a lot there. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that so common in therapy, you know, for my male and female clients is that, yeah, there are people who have a lot of issues come in and they just talk about their partner all the time. And something that I try to do very similar to what I think you're saying is bring it back to them. Like, okay, well, how do you feel about that thing? Right. Or, oh, what's that like on the other end of that? And yeah. you can see the the people's mind gets scrambled. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Why are we talking about me? Yeah. What do you mean talking about me? Like, what do you mean? How do I yeah. feel about that? Or yeah. like, how would I deal with that situation? Right. Like it's, yeah, it's wild. I mean, it's in some ways kind of disturbing, because, you know, I mean, on the other end, right? Like I'm more on the narcissistic grandiose spectrum. So I got to have an opinion about everything, right? <laughs> I'll make everything about me just because. Um, so, to, so to be with somebody that really struggles to orient to themselves, it took me a while as a therapist to really understand that outlook. And I'm curious if you could shed some more light as to what that mindset might be like of having those questions asked of, you know, what are you, what do you like, or what do you prefer? Mm -hmm. And that short circuit that happens, because it's something that I don't experience as much, but it sounds like you did in these relationships. Uh, it's infuriating um, because I'm coming to you with a problem uh, in my partner and it's really impacting me. And I need you to hear me rant about this and explode about it. And um, you're, you'd be asking me to do something that probably no one's ever asked me to do is to think about myself because what have I been doing the entire time that I'm with this person thinking about their needs and if they're going to be okay, um, if they're going to die, you know, what's going to happen to them. Um, so I, I've had to create a whole story about what he's thinking or feeling because that's not communicated so I only know what he thinks and feels now. I don't know what I think and feel anymore. I just know that I'm crying all the time and I'm angry or exploding all the time. Um, and I'm, I want to scream. Um, so it's very disorienting, confusing, a little frightening. Uh, it feels maybe a little threatening a little uh, too, like threatening to my plan of what maybe I came in here to do. Um, and it feels a little hopeless, like, oh, this person's not going to be able to help me. 
um, with this guy in my life or this uh, partner in my life. Um, but I really think that if you find the right person, they can do both the right therapist. Like they can, they can listen to you and navigate what you're feeling, um, about what you're saying, but also, uh, listen and, and learn about what you're saying about your partner without stopping you from talking about it. Um, that, that's been my experience at least where I went from, uh, it being too threatening to talk about myself to, uh, that being the only thing really that I wanted to talk about in therapy anymore. So, um, and, and I think for me, that's all safety with the person that I'm with. Um, I don't love that word, trust, developing trust with the person that I'm with. I think safety is overused, but that's just me. Um, I, I feel uh, compelled to also, I, I had told Mark this uh, when he said, well, I hadn't told him this, but when he said the word codependent earlier, I had a little cringe come up for me. Uh, so I don't love that word um, because uh, women who are in relationships with addicts get like immediately, immediately uh, labeled as codependent um, without any interest in learning about why that might be, what that means, how does it help anybody by labeling that? I think in the work that I do or in the work that's been good for me, that didn't help me at all. It had helped me to learn about myself, not be given a particular label and read a book about it. There's nothing wrong with those books. But just for me, I, <laughs> I think that uh, the way that I learn, that didn't help me. And I, I'm not saying that, that you labeled me as that, but I just wanted to say that out loud to the listeners that there's more than that word, I think. Yeah, it's not like the word can minimize or put you in a box, put the person in a box mm -hmm. where there's a lot more complexity there. Yeah, like you've noticed that I say struggle with addiction and you say addict, which is fine. You, you identify as an addict mm -hmm. too. It's hard for me to put a label to it um, unless the person that I'm talking to puts their own label to it. Um, like I can say you have a substance use disorder, um, you know, from, from diag not diagnostically. Um, but I, I try to follow where people label themselves too. So, um, and, and women who come to see me, I think only label themselves because people have told them that that's what they are. Mm -hmm. So they come and they say, I'm codependent. And I, I go, who told you that? And some person in the addiction community told them that. So it's a, it's a little piece that bothers me that I want to help people through a little bit more. Yeah, that's good to bring up. And it sounds like you're coming at it with curiosity, right? Instead of squashing them down to what a label could be, it's like, okay, what does that mean to you? Where does it come mm -hmm. from? Like you said, who told you that? You know, mm -hmm. what parts do you manifest with? I mean, do you relate with what parts do you not? Uh, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really important to me, Mark, because uh, when I was with this person, someone said, oh, you're codependent. You need to go to Codependence Anonymous. And I was like, I've met you for five minutes. What are you talking about? Do you want to know anything else about me before you say that? Uh, so I had some resistance at that time. So I do prefer curiosity, obviously, since I said my whole relationship is based on wanting to be curious about people. I mm -hmm. prefer curiosity, too. Well, can you say a little bit about 
what the label does mean to you or what parts you connected to and what parts you didn't and how you see that play out? Um, Cause it's a word that gets tossed around, right? Yeah. I, I connect to the idea that it means I'm okay when you're okay. Um, I can connect with that idea. Uh, so I'm going to be okay if my partner is sober kind of thing. Um, but I think that we have to learn for me why I personally would be okay if that happened. Like what about my own history says that I would be okay if that happened? If someone just says, oh, you're codependent because of that, I don't learn anything about myself. I, I don't learn where the story comes from how it's played out over my entire life. Like, what do I do with that information? Um, so I, I'm on board with that people really identify with, if you're not, if you're happy, then I can be happy. Or if you're not angry, then I can like, you know, I can be soothed. Um, but I don't know that that needs a label to it. I just think that that tells more of a story about somebody. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, so I did not identify with someone not knowing my story and painting a label for me mm-hmm. and also saying, go get help from someone else. You are this, go get help. Uh, so it's not very useful, I don't think. So I, I like that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, here's another label for you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> what I see uh, in these relationships is almost like a double victim mentality, mm. right? Where both people feel like they're being oppressed or both people feel like they are losing or both people feel like they are, you know, don't have any power in their relationship. I'm curious if you see that that dynamic and what your thoughts are about it. Oh, for sure. I see that dynamic and I think it's absolutely true for myself too. It's absolutely true. You know, I've been with other people that have struggled with other addictive pieces here and there because I think everybody has a little, you know, technology, whatever it is, can kind of avoid life in certain ways. Um, so I absolutely believe that there's a both parties um, wanting to be seen. So I want to be seen for my suffering. You want to be seen for your suffering. Um so I'm on board with that. I'm, um, can you clarify your question? <laughs> so I want to say I'm on board with it and yes, but I want to know what the question is, if I can ask oh, that. Oh yeah. I mean, just to hear about your experience, I can share from my experience is, you know, when I was acting in a relationship, I felt like a victim, right? Okay. Even though Looking back on it, I had quite a bit of power. In fact, I would say I probably had a lot more power than my partner at the time. But when I was, you know, for me, it was marijuana was probably the biggest one. When I was doing that, it was like life was so hard. No one understood me. You know, like I just need to go home and relax and push everybody away. Nobody gets the suffering that I'm in. Like I suffer in such a unique way. Like I, and I'm using this, this tone of voice because I, looking back, I'm like, whoa, my life was so easy compared to what it is now. It was so simple, but I, I had so much angst and so much just like, 
pain, but also I think just hatred and anger of at the world and just like really interpreting almost everything in the most bad faith argument ever, right? Like everything that happened was personally about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious the other side of that, right? I mean, I can imagine that's probably hard to be around, <laughs> but I'm wondering what the other side of that is. <laughs> um, well, what first comes up for me is the other side of that is often somebody that's managing everything mm-hmm. in, in life um, and not asking anybody for help because, you know, to speak for myself, I didn't ever ask people for help um, because I could do everything. Um, but there is a victim piece of that because I want to be seen or I used to want to be seen for that help that I was offering. Um, so I think you bring up a good point. Don't love the word victim, but <laughs> I'm just telling you all the words that I don't like today. <laughs> That's what this podcast is turning into. It's great, right? Yeah. <laughs> Me telling you everything I don't like. Um, I'm happy to talk about that more because um, you're right. It feels like a personal attack. Like, And I've heard a lot of people say this, and I've said these words myself. If they loved me enough, you know, they they would be able to quit. For Um, sure. And it's not about me um, in that vein. But it feels feels absolutely about me in that moment. Or the leaving feels so personal that happens. Um, So I'm, 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 I'm meeting you halfway and agreeing. But there are pieces of both. Yes. <laughs> I, I, will, I will take the halfway. Uh, we're going to move into commercial break here. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to talk more directly to the listeners. If you're relating with Melissa's story. Um, so Melissa, think about what you'd want them to, uh, to hear, what you want them to take away. So stay tuned and we'll catch you on the other side of the commercial. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, .teachable.com. 
For teens, by teens, and about teens. Tune into the uncensored and unedited discussions with young adults on Express Yourself. Every Sunday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Smart, tenacious teen hosts and reporters from around the country speak up and speak out. Express Yourself. Visit the website for the show to find out more at expressyourselfteenradio.com. And check out the show on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Sunday. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to our final segment here where we talk directly to listeners. Uh, Melissa, I had a question for you. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself when you were in the midst of this relationship, what would you say? I'd say uh, stop trying to do everything on your own. Um, First of all, stop trying to learn about everything on your own, fix everything um, manage everything, contain everything on your own. Um, and you don't have to pretend that you're okay. Um, I think I was pretending that I was okay to other people. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was out of shame or of desire not to be talked out of the relationship. Um, so there's a, there's a way that people know that or I knew that what was happening for me was not helping me at all, um, that I was uh, losing a battle uh, every day. Um, so I would probably start with that. Um, and then I'd probably say, you're not going to listen to me because you don't know how to do that <laughs> uh, yet. Um, so like, even though I'm telling you to stop, you have no idea how to do that. Um, and uh, maybe you could go talk to someone and learn about what's making this so hard for you, um, about, about why you are risking losing so many parts of yourself uh, to be in this relationship. You know, um, please go learn about how scared you are of, of being at fault for someone dying. Um, So uh, I would start with that. I really don't know that she would listen to me um, because myself at that time was not used to getting, I wasn't used to getting help um, with things. So that would have been really confusing probably for me at that time. Um, But I do know that when I started to uh, let people in a little bit, things got better. Um, So particular people. So I would say 
go to the people that you trust the most who actually might not even be in your family um, because it's not objective with the people in your family. Uh, you, need, you need somebody to help reflect back what's going on for you. Um, I feel like there are a million other things I would have said. Uh, do you want me to keep going with all, mil all, all one million of them or uh, <laughs> maybe one or two more? Well, I, I, I do want to hear, but I'm, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about a relationship that I was in for about two years where my partner was suicidal and she was also, you know, an addict or struggling with addiction. She was a pothead really smoked all the time. And there was this experience where you know, we were a very social couple. So we were out in the world and having friends over and doing all that. And she was like happy and cheery. You know, she was stoned, but she was, you know, herself. But then when everyone would leave and we would be time to go to bed, she would collapse and she would talk about how suicidal she was and how awful it was. And some of the same things you were saying of like, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself. You're the only thing keeping me alive, all this stuff. And I'm just relating to what you said, because I felt, you know, I think on the one hand, this almost sense of like hero thing of like, I am somebody's lifeline in the world and I am like going to make it happen. But on the other end, I felt extreme terror. And it wasn't until it started manifesting as, as truly panic attacks and emotional eating and, you know, thoughts of relapse myself. I, I was sober at this time, but like thoughts of relapse of myself, like that I was able to seek help. It, it had to, and I wasn't, I didn't even connect it to this thing that was happening in their relationship. I was like, oh, wow, you know, these, these patterns of behavior are really scaring me. I need to talk to somebody about it. And it's like, oh yeah, it's probably because of this. And the what I want to share with the listeners is what my therapist told me. And he had this beautiful image of like, you know, you two, you're walking down a bridge and she hands you a rope. And before you know it, she's jumped off the bridge and you're holding the rope. Right. Mm. And she's also directly, she was directly telling me not to tell anybody else. Right. I was like, Hey, you got to tell your friends, you got to tell your therapist, you got to tell these people. And she was like, no, I don't want to tell anybody. And it's just, it's such a dilemma of like, how long do you hold the rope? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the story, you know, has a happy ending, which is that she's totally alive. She's, she's fine. Um, I did break up with her. Right. I mean, I ended up dropping the rope after about a year or so. Um, and I'm happy that she didn't kill herself because of that, you know, truly, but it just, that, that metaphor just really sits in my head a lot of, of how long do you hold the rope and, and what that, what it's like to be there and to, to hold that. Yeah. I like, I like that um, analogy um, because um, sorry. Uh, that was the end of my holding the rope. Called his parents, called his mm -hmm. family. Uh, everybody got involved. I was, I was no longer a secret keeper for anything or a, tried to be a fixer for anything. Um, and it's interesting because with all of the work that I've done, um, you know, I've, I, like I said, I've been involved for a long time with someone who, who, who has um, some other addictive tendencies, which a lot of people do, but I don't hold the rope ever anymore, ever. Maybe sometimes. <laughs> Minimally, <laughs> but, minimal rope yeah, holding. Minimally, <laughs> minimal rope holding. Um, but there's a difference between being with somebody who's willing to look at themselves or willing to even look at you um, and say what's happening for them 
than being in a relationship with somebody that runs all the time. Um, and it's interesting when you talked about collapse because my person would um, disappear for like seven days at a time. Um, and so I got a little jealous because I was like, oh, I wish my person would have said they were collapsing or, or done it in front of me, like so that I knew a little bit more. But it was a very difficult. And uh, yeah, I guess I guess uh, I don't have to say it to my old self, but to my new self, like, it's great that you're not holding the rope anymore. Like, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, and I, I know that it's possible for so many people to be in relationship and out of relationship with someone who struggles with addiction. Like, out is not the only way, but out for me has to be the way if I'm with somebody who can't look at themselves or can't work on themselves. Like, I, I, that's not something I'm willing to ever be in again. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So how do you bring people into your life now? Whether it be future partners or friends or confidants, do do these relationships teach you anything about what you, what you look for in people, what you trust in people? Well, these relationships have taught me that it's okay for me to be wary (laughs) of people which in a nicer way means taking my time to get to know them um, and asking about those things that I see. Uh, I've also found more confidence in trusting myself um, to invite people in that I, I really believe don't have an intention to hurt me, but if they do hurt me, that they'll talk to me about it. Um, so this, this whole thing um, has been, I would never say the best experience of my life because that's hard to say. <laughs> um, but it's been, I probably wouldn't, there are pieces I would do over, particularly how long I stayed and things that I didn't say while I was in it um, or didn't do. Um, But I honestly believe that I would not have learned as much as I have about myself. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult for me to have gratitude toward this person, but in some ways I do. Um, So now people are in my life who I can talk to and who are willing to talk with me. Um, and who I can call and say, I'm scared to be on your podcast, <laughs> but I'll do it anyway. Um, uh, and I, you know, let's talk about how it's scary. So, um, I stopped being somebody who just said yes to things too. Uh, and gave myself the option of inviting people in or not too. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, as we're wrapping up here, uh, what was it like sharing this with the listeners? How's your fear now? Horrifying. (laughs) Horrifying. Oh, horrifying. Um, No, my fear, um, the only fear that I have remaining is that 
um, maybe I didn't say, um, I didn't say enough, uh, but because it's my first experience doing a podcast in a while and particularly about me personally, um, I wanted to make sure I held my boundary with how much I wanted to share and also how much I shared that could be helpful too. Um, and maybe that I could say um less now that I'm noticing it a little bit more. And am I still horrified? Um, I'm not horrified. I'm not as scared. I just have no idea how it'll be received, but what am I going to do about that? Um, I think the old me would have fretted about that for the next two weeks. Um, but I can't really do much about that other than be happy with what I said. And I think I stuck to what I wanted, that balance that I was looking for too. Yeah, I think it'd be really helpful for people to hear. Yeah. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and taking this step. I mean, not just professionally, but more so personally to share your part of the story in a more public forum. It's very courageous. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I mean, I, 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 I think so. Um, that it's, is it courageous? It's, I mean, everything that we've been talking about, which is inviting people in to know what's happening for you. Uh, so would I have done this 15 years ago? Absolutely not. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I was, I'm happy to do this. Am I happy? I'm willing and okay with doing this with you today. <laughs> I'll take that. So as we move towards close, okay. Melissa, can you let people know how to get in touch with you, how they might find you out there on the internet? Yes. Yeah. My website's uh, recovermecounseling.com and my email is really easy. Melissa at recovermecounseling.com. Um, and yeah, do group therapy, individual therapy. Mark said couples earlier, but I actually don't do that. Uh, I just wanted to reference that. Uh, I leave that to the, to the other experts out there. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. If you're listening and you like, you know, what you're hearing, you think someone could benefit from it share it, like it on Facebook, like it on social media, do all this stuff. It really does help. Give us a five-star review and we will catch you next week on another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.